Hello, everybody, and welcome to another very special episode of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. You can find all of our great content at IgniteRadioLive.com or on any podcast. Join us in that great adventure at ILoveMyFamily.us, and uh, we do encourage you to click on that partnership tab. We are so glad that you're with us tonight. We have a very special episode. Recently, I was blessed to be a guest on Nick De La Torre's Awaken Catholic program. I thought that there was a a lot of, I don't know, candor and vulnerability in talking about what it means to be a godly man, uh, a godly husband, and a father. I shared some of the challenges of our own experience as parents of six children, now age 18 to 25. With no further ado, on with our program. Greg, before we get into the amazing things that are happening, I want to learn more about the man Greg Schleter. Don't say no to me. This is my show. We're going to dive into <laughs> Greg Schleter as a man. So you and I met as we just ar- arrived at about 10 years ago, uh, 10 years ago, almost exactly. We did our first event together almost exactly 10 years ago. That's right. Um, so when I met you, you were coming into the diocese. You brought your family, a bunch of beautiful little kids mm. who were all on fire for the Lord. And it immediately became for me an aspiration to, to be like you in that regard. Like I just, I wanted my kids to love Jesus, blessed Mm. be his name, Mm. as much as your kids did. Mm. And um, yeah, how did you do that? (laughs) Like, how did how did you and your family become what they were when I first met them 10 years ago? You know, there's a lot that could be said about that. But a funny story may punctuate this point. Okay, Uh, early on, our number five of six grace we had three in diapers. We have six kids in seven years. This is back in Erie, Pennsylvania. And uh, Stephanie called from the other room. I don't know what I was doing, but she said, hey, Greg, yes, dear. Well, you got two options. You can either change Grace's diaper or you can go and get milk. <laughs> now, is that really even a question? You know, I mean, that's a, that's a no-brainer, yeah. right? And uh, Grace had a particular gift of kicking out Chernobyl diapers. God bless her. <laughs> I mean, th- th- she just had a gift. So I'm out the door. I'm getting the milk. And of course, for us, we get like four or five gallons at a time. And they would always tease me. Why don't you just buy a cow, dude? Right? Yeah. You know, so I come back and uh, Stephanie has that look like everybody loves Raymond, that dynamic between the husband and wife, really no words. She's looking at me. Mm-hmm. That Im- impels me. The look impels me to be searching my memory banks. What did I do? What did I say? You know, what am I going to find out here as I just walk in the door, balancing these five gallons of milk. I set them down and she says, well, I just change your daughter's diaper. And for us, that was always, you know, God bless you. You are holy. You are sacred. It's all of that. But Stephanie proceeds to tell me, you know, she's changing her diaper. It's this disaster. You know, we have yellow tape typically when the garbage men come by and, you know, they, I'm sure they draw straws as who has to take the Schleter garbage when that happens. So Stephanie um, says, changing her diaper. It's a disaster. I'm like, Grace, I want to help you. You need to start using the toilet, that sort of thing. And Grace starts doing her little impish. And Steph says, why are you, why are you doing this? And she says, I smell like bloody hell. And Stephanie (laughs) says, where did you get that from? And she goes, say it. Daddy does. (laughs) So... So you asked the question, um, where do our children love Jesus and have a semblance of it? It was the earliest, most profound, punctual point that nothing surpasses who we are. Mm-hmm. Nothing surpasses who we become. So I mean, even in our flaws, mm-hmm. to say, I need Jesus. Yeah, amen. And I invite you to journey with us in knowing Jesus, his loving, his forgiveness, but to pursue him, mm-hmm. that they know when we pray or we lead worship or certainly the mass and the fullness of our faith, that we're striving to love Christ, that we're connecting the dots of the things we're experiencing in the world around us with prayer, that he is our Lord, mm. he's our Savior, that it's real, 
Um, and as you and, I, you and I have spoken many times, it's not just the ritual or religion, it's that relationship. It's that heartfelt, empathetic, looking in their eyes. Am I striving to know them, what's in their heart, and ask questions that foster that? Yeah. So it dignifies them, right? They're a person you know, before God, and then it also moves them into a place of journeying together. Yes, I'm their father in a provisional way, but it's together we're on this journey. So now the youngest is 18, mm -hmm. turning tomorrow. That's so weird. And Anne-Marie, <laughs> 25. It's amazing. So, yeah, and she started um, her own family. Amazing, right? Yeah. A granddaughter. So that, that's, that's the answer. I think it's just that we keep authentically pursuing Christ as the answer to every desire. I love that answer because so many people want to put together a formula or, you know, what is the best practice and, and let me kind of shove this religious image down my kids' throats, even though I'm kind of a hypocrite or whatever. Mm -hmm. I love that example of that raw, authentic expression of life and faith. That That's such a beautiful mm -hmm. uh, story too about the, what was it, bloody hell? Is that what right. Gra Grace said? Hell. Yeah. Um, in my own family, I can see with, with that, obviously I didn't do it thinking about what you're saying because you're just now saying it. But like in my own experience of that, that's just been so true. It's like I'm not going to pretend to be someone I'm not to my kids. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're going to see sides of me that are flawed, that are mm -hmm. less than perfect because I am flawed and I'm less than perfect. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to pretend I'm not to my kids. Mm -hmm. But in that, I'm also demonstrating humility, mm. um, especially and, and most importantly, if you can if you can be imperfect, acknowledging your imperfections and, and apologizing when you need to apologize and letting your kids see that ad admittance of uh, the admittal, whatever the proper term would be, <laughs> of of those imperfections and mistakes. I, I yeah. love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Because it know, gives them permission to do the same thing. Absolutely. And I, I think there's a key theme there that maybe addresses all of us on this planet who are imperfect, who struggle, who have disordered desires. I've got mine. Other people have theirs. Um, we're not going to presume to erase um, the ideal that God made us in his image because we struggle. Yeah. I'm not going to presume to dismiss maybe struggles historically with internet things um, or other challenges that I've had perhaps because I, I struggle with it. No, I'm going to recognize that that path does not lead to happiness and joy and contentment. I'm not going to pretend about that. And to know God gives us his church and grace that we do stay fixed on a better us and that we're seeking the grace of the sacraments. Yes. And then it's a joy-filled type of thing. It's not just this, you know, like in Lent, okay? I'm not simply observing these practices that I'm giving God any glory by just doing them rawly. He wants to transform me. Yeah. You know, that Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know, our kids, I think, grew up among other passages. Make your life, a, a, your body a living sacrifice. Wow. A spiritual act of worship. Conform no longer to the ways of this world, but be transformed inwardly by the renewal of your mind. Then you'll know God's will. Yeah. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the adventure is on then, right? When you recognize here's a standard, right? And God calls us to this excellence. He sees us as saints. Mm. And all of life is about becoming that. And so when family gets that that's the ultimate adventure, yeah. that we get to journey together and, and cultivate these qualities of magnanimity, because generally, right, we're refining one another, we're mm -hmm. annoying one another, mm -hmm. we're challenging one another, parents to kids initially, but then as they get older, as they become adults, yeah. You know, the first attorney is when you turn 13 years old, they know everything. I don't know if you know that yet, how old your youngest <laughs> is, but, but, um, and, and they, they're reflexive and then it brings a whole new level of conversation, mm -hmm. but it's what a, a great context of refinement of making saints. And what's it like being married to a saint? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not far from that. Uh, Stephanie is amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm she, only kidding a little. Yeah, no, you know, I, I will simply say this, that um, the quality that drew me to her most early on was that she loved 
purely, not with sort of an mm. arrow. I'm loving you to give back to me. Right. And I was in a search for that, coming out of seminary, being in seminary, company, business, work, world, all of that stuff. Um, I didn't want somebody to love me for maybe musical gifts or leadership or talents. I wanted them to kind of love me for my core. And she was singularly um, stood out from many others in that her love was, I'm not looking for you to return this to me. I am loving you because I see you for who you are. Mm. And it gave me confidence that, you know, there wasn't a, a superficial quality in me that she was in love with, mm. status or whatever the case may be. And um, I think she, people would say this about her, when she, when you're with her, there's that quality of she's with you, she's attentive yeah. to your heart. She brings her humor, her effervescence, but there's a genuineness, yeah, there, a purity, a freedom. Yeah, I would communicate yeah. my experience of Stephanie as she, there's this very tangible piece that I feel when I'm with her, interacting with her. Mm. Um, and and then the times I remember uh, when I used to work at the parish that you and your family were attending, like I would come over for lunch sometimes um, and you guys were so gracious about always always being welcoming. Mm. And, um, and I remember just feeling so welcomed and loved specifically by her approach to welcoming and mm. loving uh, a guest. Mm. Um, and it's been something that in my own life, I, I've tried to kind of emulate a similar spirit of hospitality mm. and, and, um, yeah, I don't know. She's an amazing woman. We're both married mm. to amazing women. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, each of us only one, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not polygamists just to be clear. Uh, no, but yeah, Stephanie, Alina, thank you for being amazing. Absolutely. Uh, Alina's amazing. She is, she is. Yeah. And, and my kids too, like, I'm just watching them grow up. You know, I'm kind of getting a, a micro experience of the macro of watching your kids grow up. Mm. It's like overnight they became adults and my own kids, you know, Lucia Noel is nine years old and she Aww. is like amazing taking care of our baby and helping, you know, hold her when mommy is dealing with another mm. thing. And it's just so weird to see mm. that all happening. It's like yesterday mm. I was changing Lucia's first diaper and it's like, what is this? This is yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, it really helps you appreciate the value of being present because you don't get another opportunity to be present to this moment. I agree with that. Um, there is one of my favorite books when I lived with Father Benedict Grishel, just a saint, a superstar. Folks can check him out oh, online. Yeah. Just he's wise, amazing. funny, smart, New York. Mm -hmm. He's got the accent. He's got great stories. Um, when I left Steubenville, I was leading Light and Life Foundation, and I had been discerning the priesthood. Gregory, you got to come and spend time with me, kid. You're not going to discern. So I was traveling around the country and speaking on stages and all that stuff. And he said, you need to spend time and kind of do this. Anyways, the very first thing he gave me was this book by a guy named Jean-Pierre de Cassade, mm -hmm. Abandonment to Divine Providence. Um, it was a spirituality of the little flower, but really simple. It was this idea that um, God is the I am. Not I was or I will be, but in this moment, in the unique circumstances of our lives, or a custom-designed retreat meant for greater intimacy with God. Mm. Now, that's a mouthful, but like, just take that slowly. Like As a husband, as a father, in this great work of awakened Catholic, like the challenges you face, you prayed for technology and those things, <laughs> and the beautiful studio here that God is blessing you with, all those challenges that we face, like God custom-designed as a retreat to make us ever deeper uh, united with him mm. and in him. So what if parents saw that? What if parents kind of awakened mm -hmm. to the fact that... Um, your lives are a custom-designed retreat meant for ever-deepening encounter with him. So the mm. changing of the diaper, mm -hmm. beginning, um, middle of the night crying, uh, financial concern, um, battling, let's face it, the inner battle, ego, what's my worth? I mean, as, as Catholic as we are and desire to be, again, that standard that we're not yet, um, 
it presents to us internal battles of am I am I engaging my identity as God has made me or am I kind of subject to the peripheral stuff, especially when you got a lot of gifts like you, musical, leadership, you know, you're younger. I get that. I re- relate to that. I mean, I'll battle all the time. Lord, is my value in that? Mm. I mean, I think the enemy will speak to me differently, you know, um, in us, you know, it's spiritual narcissism. Mm. And am I deriving my value from maybe in the Catholic stuff that I do mm. or the Christian stuff that I do? And the reality is my unsurpassed identity is a son of God yeah. in Christ. That's simple can't be obtained, can't be earned. And I'll say at age 55, that's a journey that I'm still, I'm still, you know, trying to accept. And to that degree, uh, that litany of humility, like, I don't know about you, but- you Oh know, my folks, gosh, it I gets mean, me. Like, yeah. You know, check, no. I mean, if I saw that as a checklist of my holiness, yeah. <laughs> you're like, ah, uh, no, no. But thank, thanks be to God, I, I have a vision that if I could just take one of these, you know, from the desire of being consulted, right? Like if I could dismiss wanting to be consulted, it's one of the many- I imagine the freedom that I might have. Wow. Like, what a gift. Yeah, and one of the things that stood out to me with what you were saying, because I, I 100% relate mm-hmm. to everything you're saying, and the litany of humility punches me in the gut every time, which is why it's so important. Um, <clears throat> and in a beautiful way, like it really becomes an opportunity for surrender that frees you mm-hmm. from a lot of the things you shackle yourself with. And so an example of that for me, you're mentioning Awaken, my family, and and for me, I've been really resonating lately, probably the last couple of months, acutely with the idea of surrender. Um, A friend of mine uh, wrote a book, and I don't know if this was a Holy Spirit thing, but when she mailed it to me, it mailed me a copy of it, um, she wrote uh, in in the back, or in the inside cover, she wrote, just surrender. Mm. And ever since I got that note from her, um, I've just really been honed in, like, God is asking me to surrender Mm. in in all things. And so, when it comes to awaken, you know, when I am staying up crazy late to work on something in a way that's frankly unvirtuous or or vicious, you know, mm. um, that it, that represents an occasion where I am not acknowledging correctly mm. whose this is. Mm. This is God's thing. Mm. I think was it uh, Saint Pope John Paul II who said um, something to the effect of like. I'm going to go to bed now. This is yours, God, or right. something like John that. Or was 23rd, it John yeah. the 23rd said that? Yeah. So it's kind of that idea that mm. like, are we willing to be humble enough to realize mm. none of this is ours because it's actually a gift to do so because mm. it, it brings the freedom of like, this isn't your responsibility. Like yeah. you need to be a balanced person. Mm. Um, and then, and then carrying that over to the family, like we, I've been doing this prayer now, like at the beginning of the day, when I do morning prayer with Alina, God, I surrender my kids to you. Yes. Like they're yours. Yeah. Um, there's freedom in that. Absolutely. You know, we do the best we can, but... Yeah. You know, Psalm 127, when you get older, you find the same passages you maybe knew, right, as a child. When you go to Mass, yeah. you hear it again and again. I think what happens, though, is certain passages become doors. Mm. Like you, you see them tangibly as something you can turn the handle, open up, and enter into a level of awareness you awaken. There's a dignity about it. In Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, yeah. we labor in vain. Um, and I, you know, I like you, we're blessed to know a lot of folks who aren't believers, mm-hmm. Christians, Catholics, and they exhibit tremendous levels of freedom and self-awareness and goodness and kindness. Honestly, Nick, I'm kind of envious in a lot of ways. I'm like, I, I, I want to have a purity of that, you know. I get why many would say, why do you need God at some level? I mean, I get at some level, you know, 
why do we need to jumble this up with sort of this, and I think it's a challenge to us of, do we have this personal connection with Jesus that's motivating us, or is it an external, you mm. know, calisthenics that we're following and patting ourselves on the back? I think many of them look at us and they see there's kind of a self-righteous indignation from them. They think they're better because they go to church on Sundays, mm. but what happens when they leave church? And I mean in the interior of their lives. You know, Andrew Reinhardt, one of your, you know, great uh, hosts of, of a program, really understands this dynamic of a full human person. Yeah. The glory of God is man fully alive. Mm. And maybe many Catholics could come to understand, yes, pray your novenas, your rosaries and all that, but holiness is also an understanding that the human person, uh, the body, music, all that's in culture, it's not just this subset of those things explicitly branded Catholic, all that is good and true and holy, we're meant to partake of. And many who don't have that explicit connection are partaking of those streams of living water in a certain way. Right. But if only they connect. Right. If only they ask the question, do you know where this derives? Yeah. I think some of that I will say is some of maybe my healing, which I think is a lifelong project. You know, Benedict said, um, if you understand healing to a sufficient degree, you see that it's about redemption. Mm. You know, Bob Schutz is all about this, right? Yeah. And his history and his brokenness and his dad walking out the door, the honesty. It's, it's an integ integration, right, of this human experience of brokenness woven into a kind of faith that needed to mature and see the realism, a realism of our Catholic faith. So the healing, I think, for me comes with a little bit maybe recognizing that all that is flesh and human, God dignified by becoming flesh and living it honestly, authentically, and telling our stories, talking about the warts, talking about the difficulties, back to the original story I told. I want to proclaim my brokenness. Mm. I want to proclaim all my woundedness, because that way, if people see any semblance of good, mm -hmm. they know that it's not of my own power. Amen. You know, we're brothers long enough. You know my warts, I know yours somewhat, you know. Praise God that if you see any good that flows from this, you can say, well, that's the glory goes to God. Amen. And how does that not open the door? I think there's a bit of an <clears throat> invitation to the culture then that says, hey, I'm with you. Yeah. You know, I'm with you, and God wants to take this stuff. You know, yeah. the Messiah wants to enter the mess, yeah. and we're there together. He wants to satisfy that deepest desire of ours. I'm kind of all over the place No, here, no, no. But, but I, it's sort of a thread it's, of— It feels very cohesive to me, the, yeah. the idea that we— we, we can fall into this trap, especially when we are uh, pursuing the Lord and trying to become more active in the faith. We can fall into this trap of trying to fit a mold or an image, wear a mask in a sense, that presents a version of yourself that is better than you are or holier than you are, uh, more prayerful than you are, more connected to Scripture or the, or the Lord himself than you are. Because, because we want to find that acceptance and that validation from this new group of people that we're starting to get connected with or, or whatever the case may be. Maybe we just want to think better of ourselves than we ought. Um, mm. And to me, there is immense power in being very upfront about your wounds, about your, your, um, your warts, as you put it, um, your imperfections. When I'm when I'm preaching a mission or I'm talking on a podcast or whatever it is, I am ultra trans. Like there's pretty much nothing I hold back about myself mm. because especially the negative stuff, because glory to God for anything mm. that, that you see, like you're saying that is beyond that, that is um, better than that because anything that is better than that is God. And, mm. and that's just evidence of that. 
Uh, you mentioned earlier internet problems. My goodness, I had such a severe addiction to, we'll call them internet problems as you did. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. and, and and obviously I guess nowadays there's more than one kind of internet problems because you can also just, you know, you could be an online keyboard troll. You can be, you know, there's there's all kinds yeah. of ways to be vicious addiction. online. Yeah. Addiction, yeah. yeah. Um, but I just think that there is, like you're saying, so much value in being humble and being outwardly humble. Yeah. Not in a way that, that becomes... Um, phony but but just authentically we are broken people who are mm. healing don't pretend you're not broken <laughs> what a great journey when we recognize that and i think also um john paul ii had a footnote in his love and responsibility when i was in master's program and understanding this and this one footnote quite frankly was probably worth all the study that i took to get my master's and it's simply this the heart of the sexual urge which of us don't have that. You're not living or human if you don't. So the heart of that is an urge to a completion that can only be found in God. Mm. The heart of, think of that, the sexual urge that drives the internet that was the catalyst for its improvement technologically that many people, they, you know, throughout the days and the addictions and all that, the heart of all of that is an urge to know and be known by a loving God and live in a great intimacy with him without which we will not be satisfied. You know, it's the hound of heaven thing. All right, go for it. Pursue what you think is going to satisfy and fill you. So now, how many people are just absolutely wounded in recorded history, right? Just depression, despair, suicide, looking for that. So it kind of begs the question, are we giving authentic witness to them of this truly pursued, truly acquired? And I mean with the reality of sometimes darkness, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and the desert and the difficulty and the reality of that. Like, can we be real about this? I mean, if we're to be true about, say, the church's circumstance today, well, we proclaim that Christ gave us his body, the church, and it is perfect and pure and beautiful, but there's a human institutional part that is very broken. No. And we're, yeah, really, no. <laughs> because we're broken, right? And it's not just look at them, look at priests, look at bishops, yeah, yeah. look at so-and-so. It's all of us. Appointed by the Pope. Like, all of us. You are listening to a very special episode of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. Check out our other great content at igniteradiolive.com. And we do invite you to partner with us. This movement is 100% sustained by your prayers and support. And particularly now, we are uh, very grateful for those who might choose to partner with us monthly or with a one-time gift. So please click on that partnership tab again at igniteradiolive.com. God bless you. And I think if we would just be less concerned about appearing holy yeah, and more about becoming holy. Mm. You know some dioceses, and I do also, an evangelical uh, director, a director of the evangelization of a particular diocese, Craig Pohl, God bless him. Oh, yeah. His bishop and you know, resonated with their idea of we are going to have a day or two where we just forthright acknowledge um, the ways in which we've hurt people. Wow. Whether we did it personally or not, that people have been wounded by the church. How many people right now need to hear from the bishop, from priests, from others, whether they were ones responsible for it all, we want to hear the way you've been broken. We want to just listen. We're not going to respond. We're not going to react. Whatever those circumstances are, we want to hear about that because we love you and we care about you. We want to be a listening voice. Yeah. Now, I know there's dangers and politics and, you know, optics and all that might be involved with that. But at the core... it's The optics are only good as far as I can tell. I mean, the the, the power of saying, I'm sorry. Mm. 
like there is, we, I talked about it in my last episode, the one where I was talking to Christopher West. Uh, mm. He and I were, were talking about the the importance of vulnerability um, and presenting yourself fully mm. through I'm sorry, like how much power there is there. And when we are being asked by the church and encouraged and, and um, taught to come to the church for confession, come to mm. a priest and say, I'm sorry, and be v- totally vulnerable, mm. but then we're in return, the church is invulnerable mm. to us, counter-vulnerable maybe, where mm. struggles to acknowledge mistakes sometimes and won't say, I'm sorry, sometimes, um, especially when the sins have been in many cases so grave. Mm. It can't be one-sided. Yeah, absolutely. We just uh, had an interview with um, one of the top podcasts, one of the top Spotify and Apple podcasts, The Exorcist Files, Father Carlos oh. Martins. Mm-hmm. Um it, the interview could have gone for hours, and his insight and his wisdom as an exorcist and telling that story, and they could find the podcast, The Exorcist Files, which are from his experience. One quote so far stands out in my going through the series. He says, one confession is more powerful than a hundred exorcisms. Yeah. One confession is more powerful than a hundred exorcisms. So it is this dynamic of, of apology in Christ himself forgiving us. I mean, what an epic power we ought to experience when we hear, I now absolve you. I mean, I, I tear up, honestly, yeah. when I go uh, in into confession and I confess sincerely and lay it out there. And again, folks who are listening, right, there's nothing you, you'll ever say that a priest hasn't heard. But I'll say this to this point and making it very real. Again, this idea that, you know, our homes, our lives are custom designed retreats meant for every deepening encounter. One great reset that is much greater than the cultural, political variant, super powerful, will shake the gates of hell that I've done as a father. I want this. All what right. is it? This is amazing. <laughs> when your kids uh, have acquired reflexivity and you have these dynamics of, you know, just tensions, and in our case, there were never moral, fortunately, or spiritual things. They owned their faith. There were tensions about political, theological things, and me, their dad, maybe my volatility went from a three to a seven or eight or a nine because, you know, in some sense I could say, well, if you just say yes, dad, but it's a pushback and that's all part of the process. If I advised my younger self, it would be Greg, be magnanimous, know that they're not going to understand everything you're talking about. And hopefully they will understand the difference between discussion and declaration. You know, I love you, mm. but, and I, I just, you need to accept though that this conversation, now it's a declaration. So that's point one. Point two though is, I've inflicted a hurt in their lives by raising my voice, by being volatile. And it's affected them. And they will, because of the volatility, they will cloud over all of the, the 99% of love, of kindness, of I want to apologize, forgive, the whole deal. The praise, the worship, the listening, because it was of such a nature that, you know, there's splinters in their soul to receive. Mm. There's brokenness there. And in our home, shut up was the F word. We didn't use the F word. I mean, but when we said just like when I came to a point oh, where like I like that was the ugliest. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now when I tell many of my friends, like, oh, you're such a lightweight, you know, talk, <laughs> you know. But I don't, but in our home, we wanted it to be that way. And that that would come out when there was like an escalation and I would just get angry and upset. So I'm confessing this. So the great reset is this. Guys, I'm just gonna lay it out as an example. So next Ice Thursday, cream. we're gonna, yeah, there you go. <laughs> we're gonna gather next Thursday. I just want to hear from your hearts without my response, how I've hurt you. Mm. I want to be a more godly father. I want to be a more godly husband. I have failed in certain ways. I just want to listen so that I can apologize. So I would begin with all the things that I need to apologize for that I'm aware of. 
And then I'd say, I want to hear from each of you sharing with me ways that I've hurt you. And this is, you're only going to hear from me, I'm sorry, and pray for me. And that does so many things. Yeah. It creates trust. It demonstrates that I'm listening to them. Now I'll say to you, a number of those things, as you might imagine, are nuanced. They may not remember the circumstance. They may right. not remember what happened to it. But it's a huge reset of a step of healing. It's a huge way of going forward and giving them a confidence. And then I would say, I don't want this just to be this amazing moment, right? Like the talk. We can mm -hmm. talk about that. You know, this. I want this to be a culture of this. So if it's next week, there's more things you need to say to me. Dad, let's go for a walk. Wow. And again, yeah. it's I'm just going to listen. Now, at some point, I'll say, as they've gotten older, they've said, Dad, why don't you share with us? <laughs> and that's happened also. Wow. So probably two or three times, we've done this great reset thing that clears the stage, I think, significantly and opens the door to those streams of living water flowing in new ways. That is so beautiful. Mm. Just to to make them feel like their hearts mm. are, are worthy of being heard. Mm. Um, yeah, wow, the humility that that... The, it demonstrates humility, you know, in, in the midst of imperfection, in the midst of mistakes. Um, and I go back to this, like it gives them permission uh, to be, to make mistakes and to be honest about them, mm -hmm. to be humble themselves, because you're modeling that. That's, that's so huge, because that's going to have echoing impacts in their own marriages uh, and then in their kids' marriages. That, you know, that, that's the kind of, you know, we hear a lot about generational curses, but that to me is like a generational blessing. You know, you don't have to be perfect to create generational blessing. You have to model humility and, and virtue, and that will echo through the generations as a blessing. That Nick, That's beautiful. Demons' hands are bound. The shackles of, of my kids come off. I mean, you know this down the road with your family, my family, my siblings. How often do we have altercations in our family of origin, and we don't address it. We just move on, and we think just by, all right, silent treatment, and then you just get on and you're back to, you think normal, but at a deep level, you've broken trust and mm -hmm. things are splintered and shattered. And it translates when they become young adults. And those doors, if you will, you know, become these ugly impressions of yourself and them. And some never talk to each other again. Yeah. You know, what if at an early age, we taught our children as we did with our live it gathering guide and that sort of thing to apologize and forgive yeah. because really like we're made for this Niagara Falls of grace mm. to flood us all the time. Yes. And the question maybe isn't Lord send your spirit. Yes. He, he's pouring it out. He's pressing in all the time. Yeah. We're asking him to do something he's already doing. <laughs> right. And so the question then is, well, why isn't it happening? Maybe we ought to ask, well, what are those obstructions? Mm. You know, what are those things? And typically it's this Neil Lozano unbound unforgiveness, right? Lack of apology and renouncing these these lies about our identity that we've inherited in our childhood. Yes. And I will say most Catholics, Christians want this, but they don't know how. Yeah. And they haven't inherited a culture or an understanding as parent leaders. You know, it's sort of like the transfer from these great retreat programs to our home. Well, you're now that the leader of the ultimate retreat and that retreat headquarters is your home. To visualize our homes mm -hmm. as that kind of place is really kind of what our movement is all about, is to yes. try to understand how do we do that? What does it look like? How can this truly be, when I say a saint-making culture, but to be the best version of ourselves, whether it's 
leading worship in case of Joseph, a recording artist, or a mother and wife, Anne Marie or Dominic, one of the top podcasts for running effect. So cool. I mean, faith is woven into all of this. Mm -hmm. And it's the greatest excellence that we can forge our kids to have if they get that the heart of this is worship, to give worth. The root word of to give of worship is to give worth. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Before we, I want to, I want to keep diving into uh, your mission and and bringing the retreat home and all of that. But before we get into that, before someone goes on a retreat, yeah. presumably, ideally, they've received an, an initial proclamation of the gospel, the charisma, you might say. So today we're going to go into the charisma speed round. Are you ready, Greg? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. First question. All right. Who is Jesus to you? Mm. A title from Ralph Martin's book, Jesus Christ is the Fulfillment of All Desire. Okay. I love that. Very concise, very powerful. That's beautiful. Question number two, what's an elevator pitch for a life with Jesus? Every desire you've ever encountered in your life was placed in you for an intimacy with God. It was given to you and it will only be fulfilled by relationship with Christ. He desires this for you. He desires, he, he, his desire for you is placed in you to desire him, which creates this superpower dynamic, and it's revealed through Christ, how to do that, what it looks like, the nature of it. Beautiful. And there's off-roading, obviously. We can choose outside of those bounds like a highway. You can mm -hmm. smash into the berms. 55 years old, I get that friend's culture. Look around, as Cecil B. DeMille said, you can't break this moral law. You can only break mm -hmm. yourself against it. Try as you will, and sooner or later you're going to discover he desires that we have this abundant life in him. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Question number three, final question of the charisma speed round. <laughs> Elevator pitch for life specifically mm -hmm. as a Catholic. Which of us don't want fullness, not just a part? We want fullness. And I say the Catholic faith is about the fullness of Jesus Christ. It's about asking not just, you know, if you have a buffet, uh, a few raisins or a few olives, but the steak, the meat, the fullness, the wine, the good scotch, a good Cuban Havana Panatella mm. cigar. Mm -hmm. You know, he wants to offer us the fullness. And that's what the Catholic life in its essence is all about. So if you've been hurt, if you've been wounded by the institutional brokenness of the church, don't put that on Christ. In fact, Many who have converted to Catholicism have said there are many misunderstandings of the Catholic Church, and were I to believe those were true, I wouldn't be Catholic either. Wow. Yeah. Amen. Great charisma speed round, Greg. Thank you. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love all of those responses. Um, okay, so before we get into your the family stuff and the household stuff, the work of your mission, I wanted to address something that actually, uh, on the day of recording this, just last mm -hmm. night, there was a very interesting uh, CNN-hosted town hall with uh, President Donald Trump. Did you, did you catch this? I heard about it, did not see it. Yeah, so there was this really interesting moment. It was very riveting. Um, you know, you, you just see everyone in the room was on the edge of their seats, and um, basically, the 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 hostess uh, of this town hall, uh, I forget what her name was, Kathy something maybe, but she says she she poses this question, and she was a little bit abrasive throughout all of this, but she comes out of nowhere with this question. She says, uh, "President Donald Trump, uh, what is your opinion about what is missing from today's society?" Mm. And he says. Well, the Catholic Weird Stuff segment from the Awakened Catholic Show. 
And so it's it's been we've gone too far. We've gone too long. Wait, he mentioned the without bringing the Catholic weird stuff segment to the people of the United States of America. So Ethan, hit it. Catholic weird stuff. Why do they do the things that they do? Let's learn something. Catholic weird stuff. It's super weird. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Catholic Weird Stuff segment. Today, we are going to be talking about the notion of obligation. And before we get into this, though, I do just want to clarify that <laughs> nothing about what I said leading up to this segment was true. It was not brought up at it the time. It may have been hall. discussed, though, privately. You never know. He probably <laughs> talked to his closest staff. It might have said, been behind you know? the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. So obligation, what, a, what an intense word for an era, for a time in society that says, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. And the church is over here like, don't just do whatever you want. We have this this notion of obligation that at face value feels very negative, feels oppressive, uh, mm. tyrannical even. And specifically, if, if you're not sure what we're referring to here, like one example where we see the word obligation is holy days of obligation. So, Greg, I always invite my guests to bring a topic to this uh, segment, and you brought obligation. Talk to me about obligation. Thank you. I think... There is pressure in this AI culture. It's increasingly will be probably labeled by being oh. AI. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, it's hard to tell reality. It's hard to tell artificial from reality. So yes. let's just start that we're pining for something real. Which of us want to really have a conversation with a computer that f even feels real? There's something disordered or disjointed about that. Why do I lead in with that? Most people don't want robots. They don't want to be a robot, and the world wants to make us robots. So. The obligation thing, a great pericope from the catechism, 2111. In so many words, um, if we don't cultivate the dispositions at the heart of disciplines, it's superstition. Mm. It's a mouthful, but let's chew on that a second. If we don't cultivate the uh, dispositions, dispositions at the heart of disciplines, at the heart of disciplines, it's superstition. Okay, break that down for me. Okay, so. Obligation is jump through the hoops. Do this, you're good. It goes back to early church heresies. Pelagianism, if you do these set of things, you can obtain your own salvation. Got it. It's a lie. It's a falsehood. Many look at the Catholic Church and they think, okay, you got this holy day of obligation. Do you think you're holier than, than thou because you do these things? Well, the reality is, and many saints have said this, you could be a priest or religious and have a sure path to hell if you don't recognize the dispositions, the heart. Oh, I see. Okay. So yeah. Jeremiah 31, 33, God wants to give us a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, he wants to take away our hearts of stones and give us hearts of flesh. So why holy days of obligation? There's sort of an unspoken truth here that God is saying, yes, there's an order that I give you. Again, use the highway example. There's who gets in a car and says, I can run into the berms at 60 miles an hour and not be hurt. Yes. Christ reveals these truths. Try them as you will. In every area, any of the Ten Commandments, think you can break them, you're going to find that you yourself are broken. That is the, look at any biography ever been written, any story that's ever been told, find me somebody who thought they could break the Ten Commandments and was not broken by them. So Christ does give us an order, let's just use the word kind of obligation for the good of our nature, but as we mature in faith, it's not enough. It's a guide like you give your children. They see a, a bright stove used to be in the days. Technology is different. You know, look, Daddy, look, Mommy, it's bright. You have a sentence of obligation of, no, you can't touch that. They may not understand that, but it's for the good of their nature. But eventually, they're going to come to understand physics to some extent, experientially, mm -hmm. and they're going to own it. So I would say as a, as a father, 
I want to give witness of that to my children, that I'm on that journey of discovering everything the church has revealed. You will discover, one will discover that this is for the good of this capacity for intimacy. It's meant to open up a horizon of love and intimacy and all the great gifts of the Holy Spirit that God desires us to have. And it won't happen by simple external obligation, but that external obligation does correspond to dispositions. And holiness, whole, literally, body and soul put together, you see that word whole, holiness is the integration of that, right? The external with the internal. When you tell your wife you love her, but you've, you know, cussed her out or berated her or neglected her, whatever the case may be. Which never happens. I know. Of course not. (laughs) Um, You know, or, or just, you know, maybe have an expression that looks like love. I mean, is this not, sorry, extramarital sex? I'm not just Mm. talking homosexual. I'm talking, you know, uh, you know, with somebody who's not your wife or, or you're not married. I'll say pornography. Mm -hmm. These are external things that are dignified by Christ. And only when you're married, I mean, sure, you could give witness to this, you know, many would give witness to this, one before marriage may speak of engaging in a kind of external behavior, but without that internal reality, mm. there's a brokenness that's, yeah. that's going to come about. Uh, there's a searing, there's a need for healing. And so that's, we come back to the confession, right? Yeah. Power of confession, the power that doesn't just orient us to Christ again, but it heals us, it restores us. I love the analogy of the highway, and and every time you bring it up, I'm I'm envisioning the the picture that's coming up for me is a straight flat stretch of highway in in like a, a desert or mm. just out in the woods or prairie or something, um, and the highway has street lights in this image that this analogy mm. gives me, um, but the further out you get from the highway, the less light there is because the street lights you know mm. they cast a light specifically on the on the street. And you can think, you look out into this like desert flat plain or prairie or something, and you can think that's flat. There's no, you know, crazy trees. Like it's safe enough for mm. me to veer off the highway mm. and and do things my own way. Maybe get where I'm trying to go faster, like, you know, skipping marriage to sleep together or something. Yeah. Um, and what you don't see the further out you get from the street is much of anything because you lost the street light. Mm. Um and even if you don't see trees, there could be a rock that mm. you don't see that's just large enough to screw up your car. There could be a tree stump that's just large enough to screw up your car. Recently, uh, I was with family um, at the end of last year at my mom's house, and one of my cousins, when he parked, parked his car because it was nighttime over top of a tree t- a tree stump, and he didn't see it beforehand. Mm. And then... <laughs> it literally took like five guys. Ethan, you'll remember this. You were there for this. Um, it took like five of us to lift the car enough that it could get over the tree stump as he was driving it off. And then when he did get off the tree stump, he hit a tree because it was so dark. And, and you know, that's like God isn't trying to be a, t- a tyrant or an oppressor or mm. neither is the church. It's trying to give us some parameters like say, listen, if you stay on this highway, there are not tree stumps. There are not large rocks. And mm. you have light. You, you will remain illuminated. Mm. Live in the light. Drive in the light. Drive not over a huge rock or a tree stump. I love that. Um, and it can feel oppressive. Like, I want to drive where I want. It's like, no, God, God loves you more than that. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, wow. 100%. All of that happened for me every time you brought no, up the highway analogy. Well, that, that's amazing. And you, you took it to a new level. I mean, just in the sense that it may look similar. You may not see the obstructions. And I think that right. really defines culture today. 
what's the big deal if I just do this simple act? I just want to satisfy myself or experience some kind of fulfillment. I think there's a hinge on which salvation turns for all of us. And I think it's clear in this culture, and I would put it very simply, this culture wants us to think truth and good are something we can presume to determine instead of someone in whom we are determined. Mm. Truth and good, hey, I can determine what's good. I can determine what's true. I'm a woman, you know? Or I can smoke this or drink that or ingest this, and I can decide that that's good, right? It kind of comes back to that whole thing. You only break yourself against it. But sooner or later, and this is where I think there's hope, Philippians 2, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that mm. Jesus Christ is Lord. Father Carlos Martins, an exorcist, and others who talk about this, the, the demons get this. They don't play games with names or what is marriage, woman, life, or that. They get it thoroughly. They're not playing games with that. They recognize that we're only going to hurt ourselves against that. And through that process, there's great grace being outpoured. And back to that whole idea of God can use the brokenness. God can use the humbled, Lord, look at this mess that I am. Look at this struggle. Look at the decisions I made. Don't get locked into them. Don't... Um, Allow them to forge in you your identity, but recognize you've got a dignified identity in Christ that is unsurpassing. It's not with this product. It's not with that service that wants to associate you to sell their product, to sell their service. Your dignity is none other than a son of God in Jesus Christ or daughter of God in Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate epic transformation that God wants us to walk in and live in. Yeah. And for those of us who are Catholics or Christians, right, we're striving to live it. We observe things. I think this great awakening, awakened Catholic, I don't know about your experience, but to me, I find myself almost going back to the formidable basics. Mm. It sounds so simple and cliche, but what does it mean that God loves me? Mm. What is the nature of that love? Yeah. And I mean, to really unpack that this God-man entered flesh and blood, and if it was just me looking at a cross, staying on there when he knows he's got the power of the Godhead to call on angels and saints and be healed instantaneously, stays on the cross mm. because he sees this moment of everybody who's watching right now. He sees the brokenness. He sees the suffering. He sees the shame. He sees the disconnect. And if for just that person right now, he would stay on that cross that they would experience his life-giving blood outpoured. The greatest tragedy isn't that we sin or that he dies on a cross, but that we don't receive the healing grace in every new moment that we experience it and seek to walk in that life, yeah. in that light. And I want a culture, quite frankly, I want to be in a culture of brothers and sisters who get that mm -hmm. and reinforce that and have that conversation yeah. and walk life in the Spirit, right? The wind in the sails, not just the externals, mm -hmm. but this power of the Holy Spirit. We're coming up on Pentecost, the second chapter of Acts. That was not just for long ago. I mean, that is for here and now. God yeah. wants to pour forth His Spirit. Yes, and just to put a bow on this Catholic Weird Stuff segment about obligation, to bring flesh to this idea uh, for you, the viewer or listener, mm. if you're someone who's already in the Catholic jacuzzi with us, enjoying how good it feels to be right about things, um, if you're someone like, like that and you're hearing these ideas and you're like, yeah, all those people out there who are not me, who have a problem with the church's rules and obligations, I just want to invite you... Mm. Uh, to the humility of instead of thinking that way, immediately making this about other people who you wish saw the things mm -hmm. this way. Um, in humility, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in reflecting on what are the parts of your life, and I want to do the same thing, um, what are the parts of your life that you are still mm -hmm. 
not turning yourself completely over to surrender to the church's obligations, the church's teachings about what is right and wrong, the Lord's will, essentially, because we're all holding something back. And it's just a matter of in authenticity, discerning what it is that you are still holding back from God and then working mm-hmm. with the Spirit to, to surrender that. You are listening to a very special episode of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. Check out our other great content at igniteradiolive.com. And we do invite you to partner with us. This movement is 100% sustained by your prayers and support. And particularly now, we are uh, very grateful for those who might choose to partner with us monthly or with a one-time gift. So please click on that partnership tab again at igniteradiolive.com. God bless you. So I shared the story of the great reset that dads, moms can do and availing to their children, apology, huge power. But literally last week, listening to the exorcist files, again, true accounts, Father Carlos Martins, some stories speak of the way in which the enemy captured them by invitation through something as quote unquote innocent benign as a Ouija board. Oh, sure. Tarot cards, the whole deal, the stories are there. Never expected it, never intended it, but at a young age, tragic stories. So I'm thinking to myself, there were a few times, maybe 11, 12 at a friend's house, you know, I was on the shelf with Monopoly and Sorry and all these other games. Yeah, it's the Ouija board, you know? Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. So there were a couple of times, just, again, I didn't have this connection. Greg, this explains so much. Bro. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so here's the story. Yeah. Um, so I am very mindful, listening to the Exorcist series, that it isn't just these epic exorcist head turning around right. bright eye moments. Pea soup. Yeah. There are pieces within us that are unhealed. Mm. There are ways of thinking. There are ways of living. And it was the middle of the night at my age. At times, God just keeps me up and I pray. And it really is a delightful time. Two in the morning, three in the morning. It was one of those moments. And I just, you know, in the nature that Father Carlos Martin speaks of, it's about jurisdiction. Satan doesn't have jurisdiction for a Christian, but we give him permission. These mm-hmm. two is jurisdiction and permission. And he speaks of the fact that the exorcist is not to liberate them from demonic activity, it seems surprising, is to gain from them awareness of the ways in which they've allowed the enemy jurisdiction, that they would Mm. renounce him and reclaim Christ in Mm. simple form. They tie together. It's a little confusing, but they tie together. So anyways, middle of the night, I find flowing from my soul, awareness of the Ouija. Lord, if there's any, and I didn't experience anything from playing this seemingly benign game, but just, you never know. I mean, other than all the levitating and- Well, let's keep that, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, Lord, if there's any way that my soul, mind, heart, body, emotions have been influenced by partaking of this, Mm. I renounce its influence. I renounce the enemy. I renounce its effect in any way, shape, or form in my life. And I kind of had, again, was it because, who knows, my mind, psychology, shivers going down my spine. And then it turns to Jesus Christ. I love you. I live for you. I possess me irrevocably, completely, fully. I am yours. Recreate in me your Holy Spirit. Yes. My experience in that moment, again, was it, you know, I I need a higher pay grade to know exactly, but I felt the shivers down my spine. I felt maybe some trickle in the recesses of my soul going in the wrong direction. Mm. Maybe we're shut down and reoriented to Christ. So I want to say to anybody right now, don't, if you will, wait. On this side of things, let's have the humility to say, we're on this journey. Think about things in your life. Something somebody said to you, an unkindness, uh, an injustice, partaking of anything of the occult activity, Uh, Ouija boards, tarot cards, 
don't wait to renounce any influence of the enemy whatsoever and be flooded and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and, of course, to go to confession yes. if it's applicable. And, and, and there are things also outside of the overtly occultish, mm. uh, like consuming of pornography, yes. like, you know, frankly, masturbation or, or any type of, of uh, disordered sexual behavior, um, even, even allowing yourself to feel an, uh, an undue type of anger towards another human, mm. right? Any t anything that comes even remotely close or is a remote fraction of hatred, and any of all of that, jealousy, all of those things, they are mm. all small open doors, maybe sometimes larger open doors mm. that need to be rebuked. Yes. Uh, because because similar, you know, even though it's not overtly occult, mm. um, it is absolutely demonic in its invitation. So, uh, yeah, that's beautiful, powerful story. I love that story, Greg. And I think the beauty is that God doesn't simply want us to conform our actions. And here's an amazing hope that I think even, quote-unquote, the best of Catholics don't get, say in the realm of lust or pornography. Yeah. God doesn't simply want us to secede from those practices. He wants to change our hearts to have his heart. It is possible to have a rehabilitated heart that we desire what he desires. Mm. It is possible to live a life without the curiosity that is the open door to lust. And really, it's this whole notion of authentic worship. But it is 100% possible. Not only possible, he gives his son and his church to accomplish that. So we are truly free from these little, you know, mm -hmm. the enemy prodding us and, and provoking us. And we recognize what is habit, if not cultivating, okay, I'm experiencing a temptation. I'm experiencing the attack. By the way, if I haven't experienced it, I tell my wife. You know, I'll say, honey, I'm experiencing some attack of some sort. Usually for me, it's lust. Why? Because at the core of that is a desire for intimacy with God. Mm. And I'll say, you know, we pray. And she enters into it with me. I stop it at the door. And it's like, don't just, it's not just a no. It's a yes. It's a provocation to say, Lord, you're inspiring me to seek you. Amen. And then my heart will seek you and worship you. Amen. And that that uh, relationship of, of vulnerability and prayer mm -hmm. in the marriage is so huge. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about it in the last episode with, with Christopher West. He shared a very similar thing. He and his wife will pray if he's feeling a similar attack. Uh, so yeah, that's that's so awesome that you guys are doing that. And if uh, and if you're doing something that the TOB guy is doing, you're doing something right. Um, all right. So now let's let's go back to that the marriage, the family, the children. Um, your the website for your ministry is primarily is I love my family us. Talk to me about this. What is this? All right. So. Following any great event, we have more podcasts and events and programming, all of which are phenomenal planting seeds. People's lives have been transformed, the retreats, the programs. Damascus, phenomenal place here in Ohio. Uh, our kids have been part of this. Uh, Joseph leading worship, just great experiences of seed planting. The question becomes, how do we take that experience and bring it into the home so that we understand it isn't meant to be my great experience was with those people at that place at that time, or I need to plug into something else. God equips husband and wife through marriage and the sacramental grace to make our homes that place of ever-deepening encounter. So we provide a vision, a tools, an accompaniment, if you will, to journey together, if you will, to live this dynamic. Quite frankly, there's nothing really novel there. There's a weekly Live It gathering guide based upon the Sunday readings, um, Bring your family together, and this is probably challenge number one. The the, the gathering, the gathering guide. guide. Break down the gathering guide for us. Okay, this is so, something you've been doing for years. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, again, relationship at the heart of ritual. 
you can pray your novenas. Do pray your novenas. Pray your rosary daily if you can. We all can. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> pray, it pray it daily. Certainly go to Mass, the sacramental grace from which it all flows. But now age 55, hundreds and hundreds of families have been exposed to. What's decisive for those families whose children reach the age of reason and own their faith joyfully, sacrificially, alive? There are many things, but a key thing is they get this relational currency. Mm. They get one. Well, how do they get that? Because a dad and mom make time to ask them questions, heart questions. Right. Not just, okay, you're into sports or I'm, and I'm driving you there, but what's a struggle? What's well, a victory? What's a challenge? These are in this livid gathering guide. Can we go from like break down for us what the steps are if a family is using your gathering guide? Okay. So first of all, we find the three major rules that I think are applicable to human relationships. Number one is uh, the culture. Set aside the distractions, the devices, put it all aside. Love that. Um, number two is love. And here's a key thing. Love isn't simply, I want you to hear my heart. What a great capacity we have to know that God is speaking to us in listening to another. Mm. And to be asking the question as we're listening, what is God saying to you about Nick? What is God saying to my case about Stephanie, Annie, Colin, Joseph, Abby, he's engaged, John Paul, newly engaged, Josie, Catherine, Grace, Dominic. Am I attuned to what they're saying? And by the way, as I'm saying this to you, I can't say that I'm always of that mindset that I'm listening to their hearts, what is being said. That's the goal, though. Yeah, it is. So, so the love part is with the heart of Christ for them, listen, and then it may lead to how might I be meant to respond? Mm. Maybe it's just to pray, but maybe it is to give, if you will, a word of love or encouragement or certain other gifts or languages of love. So to love. And the third thing is, of course, to make it your own that it's fluid. If you're going through this guide and you find that a certain question on the gospel is flowing and it's creating conversation and this resonance is happening, let it flow. God's custom yeah. designed that retreat. So the components of this, we begin with apology and forgiveness. Again, get the debris out of the way so the Niagara Falls of Grace is flowing. I encourage my kids, as I would on the way to Mass, hey guys, and I'd be as I got older, I'd be, you know, if you guys are holding grudges for each other, as that scripture passage says... Yeah, I think it's Matthew 5. Don't approach the altar. Uh, I think it's Matthew 5. Don't approach the altar if you have a qualm between yourself and a brother or something like that. There you go. Yeah. And let's get it out of the way. And oh, by the way, without doing that, isn't even just praying the Our Father kind of hypocritical? Yeah. Forgive us our sin. <laughs> so it's easy to say, but to create a culture where I can say not simply... In our case, I apologize for something I'm mindful of, but there's a second part where we go around and say do I need to tell you that you've hurt me mm. without the response? Wow. And it may be something that they never knew. You know, somebody said something or rubbed them the wrong way. Clear the debris out of the way. Then we've got an opening prayer, simple prayer to orient us toward, toward one another, towards God. Um, we have fun questions. Um, if you had a million dollars, would you rather be a rock star or a movie star? Now, they can't all be Nick De La Torre and have them both. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> no, just whatever the fun question might be. Um, 50 questions there. They can pick one. Easy to answer. Some of them may be a little more challenging. What was a difficult time in your life through which you emerged a stronger person? Thoughtful questions that kind of open the doors, get the grace going. Then we have what are called daily questions, which hopefully we do daily whether it's over supper, lunch, dinner, what's a victory? What's a challenge? Um, what's a way that grace has been outpoured? What's something new? These sorts of questions that truly give us a sense of being like Christ, life, death, resurrection. We're tapping into that movement of grace that is our very nature made possible because he gave us 
a spouse and children. Mm. Like that's the context where we most fully connect with the blood and water flowing from the side of Christ, as Christendom says the church. I mean, this is the reality of living in Christ by asking these questions and again, not just speaking, but listening with that. We create a culture of making saints. Yeah. As they say this, right, I'm also attentive in my mind, okay, Annie shared a challenge. I'm going to be praying for her. I'm going to be more magnanimous and sympathetic if it evokes maybe, uh, I see maybe qualities in her, again, back in childhood that she's struggling with. And I'll say, thirdly, there's kind of a sense of accountability with that challenge as there are growth from week to week. Mm. Again, a saint-making capacity. Yeah. We usually do a little video that corresponds to the subsequent Sunday readings. Um, and then we we literally get into the gospel readings. Even if we just proclaim the first, second, and gospel, the, the two questions, and there's a go-around question. The first one, what struck you, challenged you, inspired you, what questions did it raise? Even just that question, if, quote-unquote, that's all you did, proclaim the gospel and ask that question, and you're going to, you know, make it accessible to younger kids. Mm -hmm. You're going to tap that. and But as they get older, you're dignifying them. Like, how is your heart resonating? Again, the relationship Certainly, we can bring maybe a catechetical value to this, right? An objective kind of, here's the context, but it's really, how is this speaking to you? Mm. The second question pulls something from the gospel. What is something here that is meaningful, that's a challenge for you? And the third is a go-around question. Now, this is really cool. So from the gospel, taking the message, for instance, let's all go around and, you know, rotation, say in your family, we're all going to tell dad, Nick, one way we see Christ in him. So you're going to hear from every member of your family how they see Christ in you. And then it's going to be Alina. And then it's going to be each child. One, it's tapping their prophetic ability to be attuned. That's going to give you a word that's going to bless you. And so it's going to bless them. And you're going to receive that word that's going to dignify your nature. It really becomes, again, a saint-making culture. Mm. It kind of concludes with this, what's one challenge in your area that you're going to grow in until next week. And oh, we'll do yeah. this gathering that's God great. again. What's one area you want to grow in? So the gathering God are kind of those components. And I'll say, if you do this regularly, um, we, we have seven-week challenges where we encourage that habit forming, forming, just commit to seven weeks and see the difference it's going to make. It just opens up doors of grace and takes this profession, and I think this is the greatest challenge. There's a, there's a chasm between Catholics and what we profess and know and what we live. Yeah, And this fills that chasm by making Christ present in the relational currency, Trinitarian currency of husband, wife, and family. There, that's so beautiful. I, mm -hmm. I think about how many families in the years that I've worked in parish ministry or at the diocese or whatever, maybe even acquaintances of mine uh, in their households, and I and I see the desire mm -hmm. to be a stronger mm -hmm. Catholic family, but the insecurity of not knowing how to achieve that, mm. you know, because it's easy to say, oh, pray the rosary every day. Well, that is incredibly intimidating to, to a family or an individual who does not have that muscle built up, to, that mm. doesn't understand how easy it is, in fact, to do that and how grace-filled and how, how much of a blessing it is to do that. When you aren't used to it, it seems super intimidating mm. and, um, and, and really uh, irrational almost, because I've been there, I get it. Um, whether it's the rosary or, or whatever kind of um, devotion, there are so many families that just don't know what that first step is, mm. how to begin to to reconstruct the culture of the household, um, because it can feel like this immovable monster. Mm -hmm. 
how can I, we can't start doing that. That's not our family. Mm. We, you know, I, I'll never convince my spouse to do this, you know, start praying the rosary, reading scripture with me or praying with me, praying over me, mm. you know, um, how, how can I expect to, uh, ask my kids to start doing something that I haven't shown them is worth doing in my own actions. Mm. I think that the live it gathering guide, uh, that you guys have created is so powerful to that end. I think mm. that, um, when I've used it in the past, it's always been a blessing. And I know of families that right now are still mm. actively using it week after week and that it's a huge mm. blessing for their family. Mm. Um, and so, you know, viewers, listeners, I want to encourage you, check out the Live It Gathering Guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll we'll have links to everything in the show notes. And uh, before we sign off, I'll have you give everyone where to v- find everything. I love my family.us. Yeah, I love my family.us. And there's another part of what you're doing, which is... Uh, Pentecost365.us. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. So people have heard of Exodus 90. Yes. Okay, so how does what does Pentecost have to do with that? So this flowed out of that, which is remarkable. Exodus 90 can't speak strongly enough about how it fosters freedom. Mm-hmm. And I like what they say, and I think there's a challenge to Catholic masculinity too. It's, it's not um, do it in part. There's no Exodus 90 light. You do it all. And you commit to doing it all because you can do it all. I'm not dignifying you and God's calling you to a great level of freedom by saying kind of, sort of, maybe if it feels good, right? So Exodus 90 is is a challenge, but it is powerful and especially to do with brothers. And at the end, you do experience, you know, the freedom of Moses from Egyptian slavery type of thing. So following that, we kind of ask the question, what does ordinary masculine spirituality look like? not just in Lent, not just in Advent. What is the, and I, let me summarize what I think that is. What is an ordinary occasion of receiving grace outpoured on a daily basis? So the seven disciplines, I think, are in Pentecost365.us, given by the church as an occasion of living this fully, receiving that grace. Um, so we really want to encourage men to experience daily prayer life. And understand, most men, if you ask the question, coming off these big conferences a month later, are they? do they have that daily moment of encounter? Like a thesis statement of uh, an essay, right? If you get lost, you go back to the thesis statement and it reorients you. Do we have that equivalent in our lives of this connection time with Christ mm. that's more consequential than anything else, but from which great grace flows? Do we even know what it means to listen in prayer? Mm to experience his love for us. Mm. Uh, And so we really align that with the Regnum Christi um, daily meditation, and it's a very easy, accessible tool Mm -hmm. to do that daily prayer. I won't go through all the disciplines, but I'll say that's one of them. Of course, the Mass and the sacraments, confession, a big part. The most challenging one is number five, and I'd say it's more challenging than the cold water of Exodus 90 or whatever else. Really? That's a statement. Well, it's this. Men called to bring their families together to do the Live It Gathering Guide. Oh, interesting. Because we've become so accustomed to the culture of devices and pixels over people. Yeah. And so to tell your teens or your younger kids another conversation altogether, when should you give them devices? But devices have become divisive. And if you calculate discretionary time, like that would be step one. Just look at the last week or in the next week, how much time was spent doing things you didn't need to do? And number two, what gain? How much did it make you a better person? If one considers that, can you not find an hour next week and say, set aside all of that for an hour and do this live it gathering guide? Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a challenge, men, because you're going to have to say to your kids, 
Thursday at 7 or 6 or 3 or Sunday or Saturday at 8 a.m. or whatever, we're going to do this thing. And oh, by the way, I'm flawed and I'm failed and it's going to be awkward and it's going to be difficult. We're going to begin with the fun questions. Maybe you don't begin with the prayer and, you know, the apologies and forgiveness. Maybe you just begin with the fun questions. And you go around and that's success. Hey, this is kind of cool. I'm getting to know some things. I mean, they discover the delight of the front porch culture where you're mm -hmm. interacting with people and not reducing it to something so artificial. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, this actually becomes something, going back to the Live It Guide since, since you did, um, well, first of all, it seems to me with the kind of breakdown of, of the Live It Guide, I Love My Family, uh, from ilovemyfamily.us, and then the Pentecost365.us, it seems like a lot of what you're doing is trying to bring flesh to notions of our faith and disciplines of our faith that seem very lofty or mm. or um, distant, unviable to mm. the average Catholic. You're, you're bringing flesh to it and making it accessible, um, making family time mm. and meaningful family time accessible, uh, making discipline in the faith accessible. Um, and I think that, that there's so much value in that because, again, people are so intimidated by beginning a new discipline, a new devotion, a new tradition. Um, and so I love that. Um, and when it comes to the Live It Guide, I was just thinking about some of the things that we've started doing as a family. When you, when you begin new disciplines, new devotions like the Live It Guide or the Rosary, um, there is kind of that initial struggle to get the whole family on board, to get the kids to not do it so begrudgingly and whatever. But as you dive into it over time, because of the nature of how powerful the Live It Guide is, because of how powerful the rosary is if you're doing that, um, if you do it well and you aren't coming across like a tyrant and you're really trying to allow the spirit to move in it, um, the kids end up loving it. Mm -hmm. Uh, we just did last night a walking rosary for the first mm. time uh, of the year. Walking outside uh, is what I mean because of the weather. Love those. And Amazing. when we got to the end of the rosary, when we were still walking, our kids were like skipping and they were like, Daddy, can we do this every night? And I was like, yeah, why not? You know, <laughs> like, right. and, and, you know, we have the, this, we're, we, we live in a, a neighborhood here in Bowling Green Um Presumably, Bowling Green. If you're if you aren't like a secularized agnostic uh, atheist, by and large, you're a Protestant. Bowling mm. Green is a very Protestant city. We have two uh, beautiful parishes here, beautiful Catholic mm. communities, but the majority of the culture, the Christian culture in Bowling Green, is Protestant. And there's the Delatore family walking down the sidewalk. Uh, praying the rosary out loud. We've been introducing more and more of the Latin prayers, which the kids love. And we're doing that out Amazing. loud through these Protestant neighborhoods. And then we're singing the Salve Regina at the end of it. <laughs> I and love I it. I just love what that, you know, the kids are building courage, yeah. you know, in their Catholicism to do it out in public. Mm. We're making a statement showing the community, like, there is a beautiful way to live. Um, and the kids end up looking forward to it, which was the whole point of what I'm saying here is that like the live it guide initially could be like, oh, do we really have to do this? And, yeah. and by the end of, you know, give it a month of doing this and, the, and probably less time than that, but everyone's going to love the connection that's being cultivated it's there. Amazing. It, yeah, absolutely. Both with each other, with the, the scriptures, with the spirit, like I, there's so much to gain from that. Amazing. Here's an interesting point on the rosary. And again, dignified and given force from the lens of an exorcist who's dealing with these supernatural realms and understands what 
really upends the enemy. So Genesis 3.15, the woman crushes the head of the serpent. Yeah. We have the, the called a proto-evangelium, the first gospel, the announcement of our salvation. That's the very first. Um, Father Carlos Martin said that one indication, sure indication that somebody has been delivered is they're able to pray the Hail Mary. Oh, wow. He says, some can pray the Our Father, but Satan absolutely hates the fact that God chose a human, right. fully human person. God, people get this wrong. Christ is not a human person. He's a divine person with a human nature. It's a little bit of a you know, nerd level of stuff, but that's the truth. Yeah, if you of, want to of dive into more of that, check out physically spiritual oh, there, with Andrew Reinhardt. Yeah. There you go. But Mary, our blessed mother, is a human person that God dignified by being the means through which heaven, Christ, the second person would come into earth. It profoundly offends those who reject Christ, the enemies, because they are of such a higher ontological nature. Angels, these incredible beings, right? Angel of light, head of choir, the powerful instrument of hearing and sight together. You know, the path to both beatitude and, shall we say, sin we see today, things seen and things heard. The Blessed Mother was the means through which all of that was restored in Christ himself. And to pray with her, She's not the end. She's not the Alpha, the Omega. That's Christ. She leads us to Jesus. Mm. And the power of doing that, my son, John Paul at Hillsdale, early on, he would invite, just grab like friends who are Protestant to pray the rosary. <laughs> and they would voluntarily, uh, they would voluntarily do it anyways, but choose to do this because they connected with scripture as a reflection in the rosary and all the apparitions, people, please check this out. You know, the, Mary's appeared more times in the last, you know, 19th century, 20th century than any time throughout history. She's saying, pray from the heart. My son loves you. Grace is being outpoured. Repent. Pray the rosary daily because it leads us to Jesus by God's choice. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a key That's thing. how he ordained it. Absolutely. I mean, if it was about what God could do, he could do the Saul thing. He could give us all a great epiphany from heaven, but... Has he done that? No. Or just at the moment of baptism as a baby, we are instantly set. Like we're Something, good. right? Yeah. But he chooses, you know, why do you persecute me? Christ is referring, when he speaks to Paul, to a people of God. Again, in our maybe thinking we're wiser, God, why don't you just do the theophany thing to Putin and Biden and Trump and me and all? What? Just break through and speak in a powerful, direct way. He's capable of doing it. Why doesn't he? Well, a humbled person says, there's a mystery I don't quite understand, but some insight to it is that he wants us to be instruments, to, to participate and cooperate with his salvation. Amen. We know of Christ because others shared him with us, right? Amen. They, talk, they talked about Christ. You know him, I know him because of that continued witness. What a beauty that we are the fabric of that salvation. Preach, brother. I love it. That's fantastic. Uh, Greg, really appreciate you being mm. with me here today. I appreciate uh, you and Stephanie and your kids, uh, mm. the role that you guys have played in my own life and my own journey uh, with the Lord. And um, yeah, I pray for a continued um, uh, success of your mission in, in, in whatever God wants to do with it, the families he wants mm. to touch with it. Thank you for so faithfully and steadfastly continuing mm. to pump out those living guides every week um, and letting God work through you that way. Thank you, brother. And blessings to you in Awakening. You do amazing work. It's reverberating, I think, locally and nationally, and I think throughout the world, and just very worthy of our prayers and support and thank a you, catalyst brother. for the body of Christ. So One can thank only you hope. for what you're doing. Yeah. Amen, man. Amen.
check out our other great content at igniteradiolive.com. And we do invite you to partner with us. This movement is 100% sustained by your prayers and support. And particularly now, we are uh, very grateful for those who might choose to partner with us monthly or with a one-time gift. So please click on that partnership tab again at igniteradiolive.com. God bless you.